0: your bibles and let's turn to mark chapter number 3 we'll be looking at verses 31 to 35 this morning appreciate our music ministry and our worship team leading us so well preparing us to receive the word well so yes mark chapter 3 beginning in verse 31 and going to verse 35 would you stand as we honor his word together This is God's word, it says this. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. You may be seated. So in my previous church back in Kentucky, Ron Chaffins, one of my dearest friends, he was also the minister of music that was there. Every time we would leave, we would all sing a song. And the song was, uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, I'm a part of the family, the family of God. At the church where I came to know Christ, Rustburg Baptist Church in Rustburg, Virginia, there was a song we would end with, and it's a song that's going to serve as our invitation hymn. And it was this, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So it was early on in my Christian life that I began to realize, um, unknowingly, but realizing nonetheless, that the church was not merely an institution or a philanthropic organization or, or even just a ritual. It was a family. And that's where we have to realize for each other is that when we become a part of the body of Christ, we're not just simply a member of an institution, that we are a family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we come together together. And so what this what's going to happen this morning as we look at this passage is that we're going to see a rather awkward interaction. It's an an interaction between a biological family, which means a lot now, but especially in Middle Eastern cultures, it meant everything. Your whole identity was based upon your family. Your whole future was based upon your family. But it was a biological family. But also Jesus here is talking about another type of family. And it's another type of family that transcends time. It transcends who we are here on earth. And I would say that by and large, it is most important of any other relationship that we absolutely have. Now, we see this isn't the first time that Jesus has an interaction with his family. If you go back to verse 21 of Mark 3, you notice that um, as the crowds were pressing in, and Jesus was trying to and going about healing as many as he could with the time that he had there until it was time to move on. His family was noticing, and it says in verse twenty one, that when his family heard it, they went out and went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. When you become a follower of Jesus and you are part of a family that is not a follower of Jesus, you're gonna see that it is difficult. Some of you may have that. You may, have, you may be a Christian and your spouse may not be a Christian. It can be can be a challenge. You and your spouse may be Christians and the rest of your family, when you get together at a family reunion, and suddenly you begin to have some different values, different outlook on life, a different Savior, a different allegiance. And that can mean a, a Difficulty. And there's a reason why there is, is because there now is a, a different number one. I was talking to a, a couple at my previous church, and she had come to know the Christ, and he hadn't quite gotten there. And the, really the difficulty was, is that when Christ became Lord of her life, Christ became number one, and the husband was used to him being number one. And you can see where there could be a bit of a shift a be A bit of a difficulty, and we see even in passages of scripture where it talks about the Father will be against mother that uh, that that kids will be against parents, that there will be a division, and Jesus did not come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword, meaning that there is going to be when we begin to trust in Christ, then suddenly we are not going to be a part of this world, even if the world is in our own family, there is a difference, there is a different allegiance. To that And that's why we have to recognize and ask ourselves, are we truly part of God's family? Because you're not born into his family. It's clear what Jesus is saying here. It's not the main point of what Jesus is saying here. But what Jesus is saying here is that there is going to be a family you're going to be a part of, but then there has to be another family that is going to be an eternal family, a spiritual family based upon a spiritual reality that the world is not going to understand, the world's not going to accept. In fact, the world may get very angry at you. But I want to make sure that we are recognizing what it truly means to be a part of God's family. If we can sing it with full conscience, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Do you know what that means? And if you do, are you glad to be a part of it? I hope you are. Let's look at the first point. Christ-led families need to lead toward a Christ-like obedience. Our families, our our biological families, especially if we are families who are are followers of Jesus, need to be leading their families to a Christ-like obedience. Look at verses 31 and 32 of the passage before us. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. Now, again, if a son is called by family, then there is an immediate exit. Whatever you're doing, you go. And you are, you are a part of that. That was the understanding. But the family was also concerned about Jesus. And that's what families do. They protect each other. They care for each other. And sometimes it is at a, at a great cost. 1 Timothy 5, eight says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith, hear me church, he has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Some of your versions may say an infidel. If we, we are called to take care of our families. And some, for some, that may mean there's some adjustments that may need to happen as a follower of Jesus where you need to go and make sure that you are taking care of your family. But this, this passage makes quite clear that, that it is a dereliction of duty for us not to take care of our families. But here Jesus is saying... That, he, that we need to make sure that we recognize what family we truly are a part of that is primary, although it doesn't take away from the responsibility that we have for our families that is ultimately secondary. What do I mean? Well, look at verse 32 where it talks about, and a crowd was sitting around him. Now, what is a crowd? What are, what are we talking about here? Well, Jesus had people following him all the time. It does not mean that they were in allegiance with Jesus. They loved what Jesus could do for them. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe the reason that you're here is because not necessarily you want to follow Jesus and be a part of his family. Maybe the reason that you're here is because, well, I'm here because I've got this thing and Jesus, you'd better come through. And there is a danger of loving the blessing of God more than the God who blesses. And if that's where you are, I pray that the Holy Spirit would so apprehend your heart that you would see that the God who blesses may not always bless you in the way that you want to be blessed, but he will always bless you in the way you need to be. And do you trust him in that? Or do you say, well, Lord, you didn't come through on this for me here, so I'm out. You have just elevated the blessing above the blesser. That's an idol, everybody. And God will not suffer idols. He is not mocked. And whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. Proximity to Jesus does not mean a personal relationship with Jesus. Just because you may have an interest in Jesus and want Jesus to do something for you does not mean that that close proximity to Jesus indicates a personal relationship with Jesus. John 2, verses 23 to 25, right after he did the the, the miracle of, of turning the water into wine, Which impressed a lot of people, and Jesus says now, or John says now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. That word, believed, hang on to that. Many believed in his name, but when they saw the when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The reason they were believing in him was because they liked what, they were, what he was doing for them. They loved the signs. They thought he, they were going to provide him with a great and bright future. But they weren't going to follow him. And that's why Jesus did not entrust. And that word believe on the part of the crowd and the word entrust on the part of Jesus, it's the same root. He, they did not commit themselves to each other. They were not committing themselves to Christ, and Christ was not going to commit himself to them because he knew their motives. And, and you may be able to fool everybody around you. You may be able to say the right stuff, do the right things, but God knows your motives. God knows your heart. Right? And so we, when we recognize that, we see that they had a type of believing unbelief. Do they, do they really trust Jesus even if Jesus did not come through in the way they thought he would? But Jesus will always come through in the way you need him to. Always need him to. A crowd is all about gathering when, when there's some interests or some benefits that they see. But if those expectations arise or there may be a cost, then you will see that crowd dissipate. When Jesus began to give a hard teaching in John chapter 6, in verse 61, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And after Jesus went into more, uh, more depth of what he was meaning, it says in verse 65, and many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Because crowds make a covenant with themselves. What can Jesus do for me? Whereas disciples make a covenant with Christ and his church, what can we do for others? What can we do for him? What can we do to know and grow in him? Which one are you? Are you part of a crowd that is just simply here so something can be done for you and there's some interest and benefits for you, but once it starts getting hard and once the accountability starts elevating and once the expectations arise and once there's a cost, are you out? You need to ask yourself that. Because some are out very quickly, and some may be out over time. But the question is, are you trusting in Jesus, or are you simply trusting in what Jesus can do for you? Now, let's get back to the family that's talking to and, and wanting Jesus to come out. And in particular, his mother. Well, who's Jesus' mother? I heard whispers. Yeah, Mary. It's okay. Is it Mary, he had, do you have another one? No, that was just her, right? Mary. Now think about what Mary ended up going through. So Mary, as a virgin, never had never known a man, is approached by the angel, the one you are going to have is going to be the savior of the world. Joseph hears this news, thinks that Mary's cheating on her, and then so he wants to divorce her quietly um, until the angel shows up and sets him straight. And over and over, the shepherds show up with, with, with their, the, the, the angels that showed up to the shepherds, and the shepherds showed up to, to them, and... Over and over, it says that Mary is treasuring up these things and pondering them in her heart. Simeon, when Mary takes the baby Jesus to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day, according to custom, according to the law, Simeon said this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many may be revealed. That's one of the things about Jesus, which and many of you have already experienced this, but in case you haven't, Jesus is the great divider in this way. If you begin to talk about, like, there's talk shows that talk about trusting in God, believing in God. I mean, even if you listen to people like Steve Harvey or, or maybe even Kelly Clarkson, or I don't watch these folks, but I've, I've seen clips, Steve Harvey or Oprah, or, and they, they invoke God. A lot. And it makes people think, well, maybe they're, they're, but they start mentioning Jesus or people mention Jesus to them and they're like, well, no, 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 not that. God, yes, but you know what God can be? God can be really whatever you think is that higher plane or that higher being. You can make God into your own image in our life very, very easily. But when it comes to Jesus, you can't do that because Jesus came saying stuff. And doing stuff. He said some things that made it very clear that if, if you're for me, great. But if you're against me, then you're against the Father. And so Jesus here is, even now, 2,000 years later, where what Simeon was talking about, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, he's still doing that. He's still revealing what's going on in hearts right now. And if he's doing that to you right now, what's he revealing? As you read his word, what is being revealed in your heart? Is your faith all about you, or is your faith all about Christ, regardless of what happens to you? Is he enough for you to where I will endure any sacrifice, I will endure any suffering, I will endure anything for the cause of Christ, or is it I will endure everything for the cause of Christ as long as it doesn't cost me anything, as long as it doesn't make me lose my influence, as long as it doesn't fill in the blank? Again, whatever that blank is that you're filling in, that's your idol. And we have to make sure that even with our families, that we don't use our families as an idol. because there's, And we're going to see that in just a moment. But here's the second part here. Not only Christ leads families to, toward Christ-like obedience, but Christ-likeness arises from one of the most beautiful teachings in all of Scripture being adopted in Christ. I do know that some of you have been adopted, and so for you, you understand this probably better. You do understand probably. You do understand this better than those of us that may have not gone through all of that. But to be adopted means to be brought into a family—not your original family, but that becomes your new family. I think I think the words now they're using are your forever family. You're being brought in, and you're being given a name. And you're being given an inheritance. And you are part of that family as if you've always been part of that family. Now, to be adopted from one human family to another is a miracle. But to be adopted, when the Bible says that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, that we are really enemies of God, haters of God, walking in the ways of this world, walking away from Him, And that we were like everyone, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. We were dead. We were lost. We were blind. On and on and on. And he brings us in to be a part of his family. We were not sick just being made well. We were dead and he made us alive. We were sinners cut off from God. Now we are part of his family. And that's where we see in Ephesians 1 where it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. He adopted us. He adopted us to himself as sons. And you're saying, now wait a minute, what about the women? Okay, hold it. Because we, when we look at that, sometimes we end up thinking that the Bible is very patriarchal because it's spending so much time talking about sons. I don't want you thinking about it, talking about this in regards to gender. I want you to be able to think about this as an inheritance. Because in that day, the progenitor was the one that got the lion's share of the inheritance. And it was even that way in our country up until very recently. Now, if you have a will, unless it is stipulated otherwise, every person, whether son or daughter, will receive an equal share of the estate unless it's otherwise stipulated. Whereas back then, if you're a son, you're getting the lion's share of the inheritance. And if you're a firstborn son, then you're going to get even more of that. What this is saying here is whether you're a guy or a girl... If you are going to be treated as a son, getting the lion's share of the inheritance of all that Christ has for you. That's liberating. Are you hearing me? Or have you gotten so used to this that you're like, yeah, I know this. No big deal. This is incredible. Because, because we, we, we can't forget where we were. Outside of him. We were lost and damned and dead and doomed. And now we're a part of his family, and now we're going to get his inheritance? Don't take that for granted, everybody. This is something that is incredible. This is a miracle above all miracles. And we have to recognize all of that. And so when we get back to to, um, Mark chapter 3, where he's talking about this, and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Everybody in the crowd is saying, "Um, we just told you they're outside and then Jesus is saying and looking about at those who were who sat around him now this is where we have parallel passages meaning that in other in other gospels that there is a, a parallel story and you put all of those stories together and you're able to get the full picture. And so what Jesus did was from the crowd, it says in Matthew 12, 46 to 50, that he pointed to his disciples that were in the crowd and he pointed to them and he said this, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother, that's my family. I can imagine that Mary, the part of the sword that was going through her own heart that Simeon mentioned, I can imagine that she felt that. But it wasn't like that she wasn't already told. The angel told her when she was when when conceived and was going to bear a son, and you know, the all of these all of these particular prophecies, all of these prophets that were coming to her. So she was told, but sometimes that's why we preach every week. Because we forget, don't we? We can have hard things happen in our lives and sometimes we forget the promises of God because of the particulars that may be happening in our lives. That's why we need to be reminded. That's why we just encourage you every single week while you can. Come to church every single day. Get in the Word. Be reminded. Be reminded. Be reminded. First Timothy 2a. Remember Jesus Christ. Don't forget. You know, don't, don't forget to remember Jesus Christ. So, When you're looking at this, this, he's not saying that those who, who do the will of God, okay, you do the will of God, then that will show you love me, and then I'm in. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not talking about this as a condition of salvation, but a result of salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to want to do the will of God. So therefore I ask you, do you say you're a follower of Jesus? Then do you want to do the will of God? Because that's a result. That's a result of a changed mind. That's a result of a changed heart. And it's tough because the spirit is there battling with the flesh. And it's tough, especially when family is involved. In Luke chapter 9, there's a very interesting passage that is here of people who are wanting to follow Jesus, but with some conditions. Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. In fact, normally I get rolling, I'll wait for you to turn there. Really? You're going to wait for it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for you on that Because I want you to see this, because it almost sounds like, if you're reading this uh, uh, on the surface, it almost sounds like that Jesus is contradicting himself. Oh, Luke. Luke, thank you for asking. Yes, now we're getting a Wednesday night vibe. I love it. So Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. It's in your Bible, right there. Don't take my word for it. It says this. I'll approach it slowly, I still hear pages. but It says that they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now That sounds great, right? If we were to have someone walk the aisle and say, I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he takes me. What would we say? Great! Let's get a deacon up here and let's get the card and fill it out. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you're not going to have a home. If you follow me, you're not going to be guaranteed of a home. You're not going to be guaranteed of anything that the world may say you may need, because I'm going to be all that you need. Everything else will be a bonus. If you follow Jesus, we're going to be pilgrims wandering in this world. And we have to hold on to the stuff in this world, not like this. Because if you hold on to the stuff in this world like this, then you're going to hold on to Jesus like this. But if you hold on to Jesus like this, with a closed fist, I'm holding on to him, then everything else you will hold with an open fist. If you want me to have this, great. If you don't, great. But I have you. You know, and you're enough. You see? It goes on. To another, he said, follow me. So now Jesus is initiating this. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, I'm in verse 59 now. And in verse 60, it says, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Please understand this. death wasn't, the, the death of the dad at that point was not imminent. He was going to stay around until his dad died. And his dad may have been my age. He may have had another 20 years with his dad. But he didn't want to leave his dad, the pull of family, right? But when God calls, we go, right? Verses um, 61 and 62, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, well, you just lost the game right there, didn't you? I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those of my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying disregard your family. What he's saying here is this. That pull of family may keep you from doing what you need to do. Ready to go. Ready to stay. Ready my place to fill. Ready for service, lowly or great. Ready to do his will. That's a, that's a hymn you may not have heard in a while. But it's a, it's a beautiful one. So we can't delay God's call. So when we say that the, the ones who do his will are his mother and sister and brother, his family, that means that he's in charge now. He's Lord, not family. Hey, hey, son, you need to take a break from this. The Pharisees are trying to kill you and the crowds are trying to crush you. Why don't you come on back home and take a little bit of a respite? And that's not what Jesus was saying. He's like, I have been called to do this. And I have been called to do this for this amount of time. I'm going to go and do this. So when God calls us to do something, we don't delay in the call. And if God is calling you to do something, don't think it's just for the big, glitzy, glamorous stuff where a lot of people will give you a lot of influence. He may put you in a place that no one will ever hear from you again except the people that you're ministering to. And will that be okay? No, no, that's a stepping stone. Boy, we pastors have done that, haven't we? Stepping stones to bigger and better. But you know what? You're starting to see now that those who go to the bigger and better, it's not necessarily better. Am I right, Win? It's not always better, is it? He knows. He's been pa- he pastor for 25 years, and I, we, we feel it. There's always that pull. There's always that temptation in the flesh. But the temptation needs to subside because Jesus is more than enough for what he has called us to do. Now, every so often somebody, and it has to, and if God's calling you to do something, he's calling you to do it. So over 30 years, and, and some of you have, have, have approached me like this, and so you know that I, this is my response to you when this has happened. But every so often someone gets a real passion for ministry, for a ministry that needs to be done. And so they give me a call and they say, you know, Pastor Matt, we really need to do whatever it is. And they're real passionate about it. I mean, passionate I mean, it's eating them up. It's keeping them up at night. Wow, we got to do this. I think the church should do this. Now, what's what's usually my response? My response is, well, since it's your passion, would you be willing to lead it? Mm. Because passion is contagious, everybody. And so maybe God's calling you to do that. Then go do that. And it may not even have to involve us as a church. Maybe he's calling you to do that in kingdom work in some way, and we could come alongside you and bless you to do that. But if that's your passion, maybe that's your calling. Go do it and see what God does. Yeah, there's going to be pulls. Yeah, there's going to be temptations to, to to wander. But go go do it and see what he has for you. So when we talk about this, it's not just thinking about him or having an eternal warm fuzzy about him. It's about acting on what he's called you to do. I think that's what's happened in a lot of our churches. We love Jesus in theory. We love Jesus with the warm fuzzies. But the moment we he asks us to step out and do his will and do what he's called us to do, well, what's someone going to think of me? What's this? What's that? And you, we start, boy, and we become an excuse making factory. But when we have our eyes on Jesus, then what happens is those excuses are seen for what they are. Excuses. He gives us the strength to do everything that we need. He gives us everything we need to do everything that he commands. And so that's where we have to realize what he's called us to do. Romans eight fourteen to 17, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, sons and daughters of God for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into what fear outside of Christ we're afraid a lot and when we take off our, our eyes off of Christ we become very fearful and we begin to look around Begin to look around us and think, what's somebody going to think of us? But look at what's being said here. But as you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Even if it means suffering in your own home for the cause of Christ, in, in your schools, in your jobs, wherever you may be, are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, or is that cost too much? Jesus here is saying, provided. The Spirit here is saying, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. We want the glory now. We want the easy stuff now. Sometimes we hear it in our testimonies. I know God loves me because look at this job and look at these grades and all that. Would we be able to say, I know God loves me because he's sending me through suffering? He's sending me through mocking. He's sending me through persecution. Because if you start to say, I'm going to do the will of God regardless, that is exactly what's going to happen. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. 2 Timothy 3.12, again, just so you know, I didn't make that up. It will happen. And this was Paul's last letter. He knew that that was what was going to happen. So before we close, I want to just remind you of one more passage. In Luke 14, verses 25 to 27, it says this. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. That's the terms. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Um, Jesus, didn't you just instruct Paul that we are to take care of our families? Didn't you just do that? It's not hate as in hate. It's hate as in a comparative that we have such an allegiance to Jesus that whoever is second is way back because Jesus is first. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is more than enough. That's what we have to see. That's what it is. Now, some of you may have come to Christ because of pressure from family, pressure from friends, worried about death. You want to make sure that you're not going to go to the hot place when you die. And that you're going to be able to go and and go to heaven and be in the cool place. I don't know what heaven's temperature is. I'm sure it's fantastic. Because I know how valuable temperature is for us. We have to be careful. But what we have to realize, too, is the cost that Jesus has called us to. That mom and dad, I love my parents, but if they were to ever ask me to do something that was against Christ, mom and dad... Their influence is not there in that fact. If the government is asking me to do something that Christ tells me not to or vice versa, the government no no longer has sway over me. Christ is number one. Just like our, our citizenship is in heaven, meaning that the citizenship that we have here is number two, just like that, our spiritual family is our priority because it's eternal. Our biological family, if they ask us to do something against that spiritual family, secondary, temporary, you see? So, where does your allegiance lie? I mean, really? Has God asked you to do something, but, oh, I can't leave family. I can't do this. What are my my kids going to think? What's mom and dad going to think? What's grandpa going to think? What's my wife going to think? What's my husband going to think? Our allegiance is to Christ. You have to take into consideration, especially your spouse, because wherever I went, Cindy would have to come with me. Or what's the other option? She could divorce, God has some things to say about that, so that was out, and so she would come she would come with me thankfully, her allegiance was to Christ first as well, and so that's how we are able to be in harmony with all of these things, or is Christ just a side hobby for the weekend? Oh no, 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 he is worth so much more than just a weekend hobby, isn't he he's worthy he's worth it, and what and so The other thing that we've talked about as a Christian, I'm talking to you as Christians, what responsibilities is God calling you and taking care of your family? Because there's going to be some things that are going to come your way, and you're going to have some choices to make in regards to taking care of your family. But as a follower of Jesus, he says, we're not taking care of our family in that way. We're worse than an unbeliever. We've denied the faith. That's serious. He's given us our family to take care of. And so as Christians, we have to make sure we see that reality as well. Ready to go, ready to stay, ready my place to fill, ready for service, lowly or great, ready to do his will. Is that where you are? Regardless of what the cost may be, is Jesus more than enough for you? Father, I thank you for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for the family that you have brought us into. Lord, I came from a, a wonderful family. But I know others may not have come from such a wonderful family, but regardless, all of those families had flaws and failures and dysfunction. And Lord, you bring us into your family, and while there may be some dysfunction in that family, Lord, we look to you and know there's no dysfunction in you. Thank you for bringing us to where you would have us to be. And there may be some here who are not followers of Jesus and not part of the family. And even if they may have made a decision a long time ago, if their hearts now are not wanting, regardless of cost, to do the will of you and to do the will of your son Jesus, there is some significant repentance that needs to take place. Lord, help us to make sure that we are looking where you would have us to be and doing what you've called us to do in every way. Thank you, Lord, for setting an example with your son Jesus. Lord, he did what he was called to do right to the end, even unto death, death on a cross. But Father, I thank you that you raised him to life and that he lives in us and he gives us the strength to do what we need and to do everything that you've commanded us. If there's anyone here that's not a part of the family of God, may this be the morning. And if if there's others who are wanting to be a part of this church family, Lord, may this be the morning as well that they would come and be a part of who we are and what we're doing. And what you're doing, I should say. Guide us in all that we do and say, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So earlier on, I referred to a a passage or a a, a hymn, rather.